John chapter number 8 and verse 31 in the word of God reads this. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. I ask particularly that you would help me. You would give me strength, Lord. Uh, Lord, you would give me the words to say, to be clear. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have free reign this morning to touch our hearts, to prompt us, to change, to turn, whatever it is. I pray you would encourage us, uplift us. I pray that the things that we'll share this morning would be things that are shared from each and every pulpit in this land. Lord, we are in a battle for the truth. And Lord, it's your truth. It's not our truth. It's not a truth that we've come up with ourselves. It is your truth, and it is the truth that makes free. Lord, we seem to be, each and every day, fighting for simple truth. Even the concept of absolute truth in this postmodern society is being thrown out left, right and centre. And Lord, as the lost world has believed the lies that have been peddled so successfully. But Lord, we want to know truth and we want to proclaim truth from this pulpit. So I ask that you would help me, you would guide me, you would lead me, you would use me, Lord. And I pray ultimately that your name would be magnified in all that's said and done. And we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, truth's been with us since the beginning. Right at the beginning of time, the beginning of creation, you go back to the garden and you will find truth. You will also find its counterpart, its nemesis, falsehood or lies. And this battle between truth and lies has raged from the very beginning and rages now and will rage until the very end. And it's a battle for human hearts and human desires. And we know that the devil is called the father of lies. And he is the father of lies. And everything that comes from him is a lie. It's a counterfeit. It's something that presents itself as good. But really when you get to the bottom of it, it's far from good. Because it's not from God. And God's truth is the truth. But from the very beginning, Satan came along and he said that, you know, God said this, but. And he sowed that little lie. I said before, you know, from this pulpit that people use the phrase, the greatest lie, that the, the trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And, and there's a little truth in that. But I've said to you before, that wasn't the greatest trick he ever pulled. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was making us think that it was about us. And that's what he was doing in the garden. And the minute the devil can make you think that it's about you, he's taking you away from God. He's taking you to self-worship, which is ultimately his worship. Remember, that's why I fail. I want to be like God. And lies are dangerous in all walks of life, but none more so when it comes to spiritual lies and the things that are being 
told. And this world is full of spiritual lies. It's full of lies about God and about his truths, about his character, about what he demands and asks, who he is, his holiness, his goodness, his love. All these things are being lied about constantly by human minds taken over by the desires of their own heart to take God and mold him and shape him and form him into something that suits their type of worship. That is idolatry. God cannot, let me say this again so that we're clear in this church, God cannot be shaped and formed by human hands and human hearts. You understand that this morning, church? Amen. He can't, can't be done. Because he's God. We're his creation. And the nonsense that we can shape God. My goodness me. My goodness me. Is there any greater folly than that? It's like the fuel filter in a car. Deciding it can change the shape of the car. It's nonsense. We're the created. We're not the creator. We have no power to create God. We try, but it's a figment of our own imagination. And really, it's false worship. But that's where we're at. That's where we're at today. I did the teens class last week. Hopefully they remembered. I start to talk about creation. Because all they're ever told in school, this is what they're told, that you came from nothing. Space dust exploded and created everything. Now that is nonsense. I don't care whether you believe in God or not, but that concept is nonsense. But it's been paraded as truth. And kids are believing it. Why? Because none of us in schools... No, I say none of us. None of the kids... I'm not in school anymore. <laughs> none of the kids are taught how to think critically. And this is a reaction to a time when they used to teach kids to think critically. What do I mean? Analytically. Listen to what you've said. Go in and examine it. Proof text it. Look at it contextually. Whatever it may be. Examine it and learn to discern. And the problem was in the 60s, 70s or whatever, this type of thinking was prominent. But what they did, as human beings do, we go to the extremes and we, they took apart everything. So you couldn't believe anything. And that's, that's an extreme But now we've swung to the other side of the pendulum, as humans do. This is what happens through the entirety of history. You know, whether it's theology, whether it's governmental rule, whatever, we swing in this pendulum back and forth, never hitting the middle ground. And we've swung to a place now where nobody thinks critically. The kids just take what they receive and then they regurgitate what they receive, thinking they know what they're talking about. I was like this with evolution, honestly. Before I actually looked at it, I swallowed the story of evolution, hook, line and sinker. Never really critically looked at it. Never sat it down and examined it as a theory. Never did. Never did. But I would tell people, that's how everything came into existence. I would laugh at the Christians and think, they're stupid Christians. They don't know the science. I never looked at the science. I say science... It's theory. It's not repeatable. It's not observable. You know, same with the creation of the earth. Big bang. That's what I was doing with, with the, the teens last week. I was telling them that there's, in science, you know, something that's repeatable, observable. You can take a theory and you can make it a fact. 
that theory stands up, like gravity, right? So I've got my little clicker here this morning. If I was to throw this clicker up into the middle, no, not pick the middle, no. left, no. no, we'll do the right. <laughs> What's going to happen to it if I throw it up above your head? No. It's going to come down. Why is it going to come down? Gravity. What is gravity? Can you see it? No. So somebody came along. Do you know who it was? Isaac Newton. There are other scientists thinking about it at the time, but yes. Comes along and, and, you know, in his mind he's working out, you know, something's pushing things down. So, you know, you ever go into, not saying that none of you will ever go into space. It's not likely that any of us are going into space, other than maybe the rapture, but there you go. Uh, You go into space and there's no gravity. So if I was to do this thing in space, what would happen? Right. There's nothing pushing it down. So on Earth, this theory comes of gravity, and the theory is that there's some force that's pushing things down. So how do we prove that theory? We experiment. So I could stand here for an hour, having great fun, throwing this, and seeing if I could hit every person there in the head with it. What would we do there? We'd take the theory, we'd, we'd look at it, repeat it, observe it, and say, that theory stands up. Now, the theory of the Big Bang that leads ultimately to evolution, is it repeatable? No. Is it observable? No. It's a theory. It's a theory. So why then, why then are we accepting that, uh, and when our kids go to school, that it can be taught as fact? Because that's what the world's doing. What are they doing? They believe in the lie. Without really examining it. So, what we want to look at this morning is four lies that the world believes. Here's the first one. And we've touched on this a little bit. This is what's being taught. This is what most people believe. We are accidents. You don't have any purpose. There is no purpose to life. You're an accident. Millions and billions of years ago, depending on who you talk to, it'll vary in terms of how many billions of years ago. Nothing exploded and created everything. And through that millions and billions of years after that, then single cell organisms started to um, grow and mutate and grow and ultimately come out of this primordial goop. Through the goo, from the goo, through the zoo, <laughs> to you. But that's it, right? That's it. That's, what, that's what's been taught. This, this space dust, this lucky space dust, because it just exploded. It wasn't planned. There was no designer behind it. There was no creator behind it. It wasn't planned. This lucky space dust just exploded. And then everything we see, laws, planets, seasons, animal life, plant life, variety, all these things, human beings, we all appear from that. Just a product of an accident. No reason, no purpose. Just luck, coincidence, chance. But the Bible doesn't say that, does it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that we're a product of design. And when you look at the human body, and you look at all the functions of it, and get into the depth of it, all the things that are going on in you right now are an amazing, amazing design in action that the human world cannot replicate. 
It's so complex. All these things working together. You know, creationists will talk about irreducible complexity. That you can only take things down to so far. Like the human eye. That needs all its parts to function. You know, like an airplane. An airplane is made up of 100% of non-flying objects. Put all together, what's it do? Flies. The human eye. The human, you know, uh, vein system. What came first? The blood of the veins. If you're evolutionist, you have to ask these questions. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. God's the maker. But the world is peddling this lie that we're an accident and we're believing it. We're not critically thinking about it. That actually when we critically think and we step back and we look around us, everything screams, everything screams of a designer and a creator. The scientists, when they take apart and they look at DNA, they'll say it is a blueprint for life. It is code for life. What does that say? It's a designer. Now I'm saying these things and the world will laugh at me. You may be laughing at me this morning. Thinking this foolish caveman has no idea what he's talking about. But who's the fool? The puffed up one that comes with evolution and says that proves everything? Or the one that simply looks at it and goes, you know what? This is so marvelously complex. That there must be a creator behind it. Who's the fool? But that's the lies that we believe. That's lucky dust that just exploded. It's nothing to do with luck. God says, look. This is general revelation. This is why God stretched forth the stars. So that we can look up there and see how small we are. And how great he is. And look and say, that could not have come about by itself. That there has to be a creator or a power behind all that. Lucky dust. God says, just look. And you sit here as a human being and, and, and you may be, you know, uh, reacting to this in some way. Your emotions may be getting challenged. What does that tell you? Do you think that lucky space dust can give you emotions to think and laugh and cry? Does that sound logical? Where did that come from? Where did that information come from? It kind of created itself. I was at a, doing a funeral service yesterday, sharing a gospel message, and I was sharing this, and I was saying, you know, for, for those that don't take a biblical worldview, that God is the creator, and he is the one that determines right and wrong, If you don't take that view, you cannot claim any standard of right and wrong. None. You have no claim to morality outside of God. What do I mean by that? If we're just lucky dust, bag of protoplasm that is managed by millions and billions of years to get itself to this state where we can think and reason and stuff like that, and we're in our communities, we have no claim to what's good, what's bad, What's truth or what's lies? No claim to morality at all. Because who sets what's right and wrong? How is our right better than somebody else's right? And if we look at a society and we say, 
oh, we don't like what they do, it's wrong. Why are you right and they're wrong? Who's setting the law? You. Then what happens? If you set your own laws and your own right and wrong, your law unto yourself, there's no such thing as absolute truth overriding the whole thing. And society is not built like that. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. And God has put right and wrong in your heart so you can know that. But outside of that biblical worldview, you have no right to right and wrong. And when you step upon a standard of right and wrong, you're borrowing from the biblical worldview and you're acknowledging that there's one that sets above us all, that sets the laws. So people don't live like there's no God. They claim bits of him. But the truth is, if you believe the lie that we're an accident, you've no right to any of that. And this is what's being taught to our children in schools. That you're an accident. You've no purpose. This life is it. Survival of the fittest. Doesn't matter who you trample on the way. It's a lie that we're believing. It's the first lie. The second lie. Let's move on. Here's another one. You're a good person. You're a good person. <laughs> this is what the, what the world wants to, you know, if we, right, okay, if God's real, then here's what God sees when he looks at us. Yeah, we're good people. We help old ladies across the road. We're not murdering anybody. We're not, you know, committing tremendous crimes. We're good people. We're good people. But is that what God says? Good by whose standard? Our standard or God's standard? Again, we can't pick and choose. If we want a standard of good, we have to go to the one who sets the standard of good. Right? I said this again yesterday at the funeral. And I asked, you know, put your hand up if you think you're a good person. And then we'll examine that truly. None of us are good. By God's standard. By human standards, some might look better than others. But God says the very core. Right? The very core. He sees it all. Nothing is hidden from him. Imagine that. God has seen every thought and intention of our hearts. From the minute we came into this world and our hearts started to beat, to the minute that we depart this world, God will have seen everything. 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 And you want to stand before him and say, I'm a good person? No, not at all. There's none good. No, not one. That's what the Bible says, doesn't it? Romans 3.10. As it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does all mean? All means all. And that's all that all means. That means everybody. We're all in the same boat. You know, my grandmother passed this week. And that was one of her things. She thought she was a good person. The tale of her life told very different. And that's only the things that I saw. Who knows what God saw? If you're relying on being a good person to earn yourself favor with God, to get to heaven, then you're beat. You're beat. I said this yesterday to those that were in attendance, that biblical Christianity is set apart from everything else that is out there when it comes to some form of system that's to deal with the next life. 
Atheism as a system and a faith-based position, which it is, has no, no need to deal with the next life because they don't believe in anything. But for the other religious systems, they all come along and they want to offer you something for the next. Realizing that we're body, soul and spirit, that what lies within you is eternal. And all these religious systems come along and they offer you something. But you have to work to gain that. And when you examine those systems, uh, Islam, when you examine it, the Muslim who has been, you know, um, a faithful Muslim to the pillars and kept all the, 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 you know, the religious traditions of, of Islam and has been a good Muslim all his life, still doesn't know if he's going to be okay when he faces Allah. Because he's going on a works-based system and he doesn't know if his works are going to be good enough. And actually he doesn't know if Allah's going to be in a good mood and accept his works. So there's no eternal security. Each and every one of those world religions doesn't have that. But when you come to biblical Christianity, it is unique. And I believe God has kept it that way. He has protected it to be that way. So that you can see this is truth. That there... Bible tells us that there's no way, according to this, there's no way that we can get to heaven. None in and of ourselves. None. We're not good people. We're bad people. And a good God cannot allow bad people to spend an eternity with him. So he made a way. And it's only biblical Christianity that does that. Makes a way where there was no way. So we've had two lies. Let's have a look at the third. Number one is you're an accident. Number two, you're a good person. Number three, God wouldn't send people to hell. Because God is loving. God is good. And a good God would never send somebody to hell for eternity, to be eternally punished. Now, how long is eternity? Let's see if you're awake. How long is eternity? Right. That seems like a long time, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? How could a loving God, how could a God that says he's good, send people to hell forever? Eternally. And the world wants to tell you, you know, God's not like that. God's good. He'll not punish you. A loving God wouldn't create hell. A loving God wouldn't torment me forever. A loving God wouldn't do this. Because he's good. That's the lie that the world wants you to believe. Because by believing that lie, what the world's telling you is, you can do what you want, how you want, whenever you want. And God is so good that he's going to forgive you anyway, no matter what you've done. Because you're just, you're a good person. And he wouldn't send you to hell. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And it goes against the very character of who God is. But for God to be good, i said this before, the statement that God is good. If you sit here this morning, as an unsaved person, the statement that God is good is the most damning thing that you can hear. Because God is good means that God is holy, 
He's just. He's perfect. There is no fault. There is no flaw in him. He is the absolute standard of goodness. And because of that, he cannot not punish sin. Because the minute he doesn't do it, he's no longer good. He's flawed, he's fallible, and he's corrupt. The central characteristic of God is his holiness. And his holiness is eternally fixed. It's unchangeable, it's unbreakable, and it's undeniable. And because of that, God has to deal with sin. And he is right to. He is a good and righteous judge. He's doing the right thing. He's not ignoring the bad thing because people think we've done some good things. He's dealing with it. He's judging it fairly and righteously and wholly. He is the judge. Revelation 20 verse 12 says, I saw the dead, the small, the great, stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which was the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Revelation 20 verse 12. God is going to judge and he will judge righteously. He may judge wholly. You may sit here and say, well, I think that's harsh. I don't agree with it. Do you want the truth? It doesn't really matter what you think about it, whether you agree with it or not. You're not the law setter, you're not the law giver, and you're not God. You're not God. His ways are far higher than our ways. We are wicked, we're disobedient, and we are deserving of God's judgment. The world says a loving God wouldn't punish. The word of God and the nature of God declare that a righteous and holy God cannot let the breaking of his laws go unpunished. And Calvary's cross is where God's love and God's justice meet in harmony. As the lamb hangs upon the cross. This brings us to our final line. There are many ways to heaven, right? How often have you heard this one? All, road leads, all roads lead to Rome, all stairways lead to heaven. It doesn't matter. You know, just be a good person and you'll get there. But again, that's works. And the Bible says you're not saved by works, you're saved by grace. Lest you boast about it. And even at that, your works couldn't make up for your bad deeds. So there's only one way, and this is say this is the difference between these world religions and what biblical Christianity is about. Jesus himself said this very thing in John 14 when the disciples are troubled because Jesus has been teaching them that he's going to die. And he says, Let not your heart be troubled. I go prayer prayer place for you that where I am you may be also. And then Thomas says, Well, we don't know the way, we don't have a map. How are we going to get there? Knowing that he's talking about the heavenlies. How are we going to get there? Thomas knows that he can't do it himself. He needs the Lord. And what does the Lord say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice the definitives. I am the way. Not one of many ways. The way. Yes, it's the narrow path. Not many will choose it, but it's the only path. I'm the truth. Not a truth. Not a let's decide our own truth. He says, I am the truth. Do you think Jesus knew what we were going to face 
as human beings in the world where the devil will come along and try and sow these lies day after day, minute after minute, hour after hour, on our TVs and our radios and our culture and our schools and our universities. And he says, I am the truth. And as a result of believing those two things, I then become the life. Eternal, everlasting life. But the world wants to muddy it. The world wants to take us away and tell us that there's many ways to heaven. Biblical Christianity is clear. There's only one way. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The world tells us many lies. And all of them are designed to take us away from our Heavenly Father. All of them are designed to distract us and take us away from God. There was a survey taken in early 1991. The interviewees of the survey were asked this question. Do you agree strongly, agree somewhat, disagree somewhat, or disagree strongly with the following statement? So they were asked their opinions. And levels of agreement with the following statement. The statement that was given to him was this. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Different people can define truth on, in conflicting ways and still be correct. So example, I could say 2 plus 2 is 5. You could say 2 plus 2 is 4. Somebody else could say 2 plus 2 is 6. And we can all be correct. Right? So they're asked basically their statement on that. There's no such thing as absolute truth. So 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 4, absolutely. That different people can define truth in conflicting ways and still be correct. They were asked how they agreed with that in levels of strength of agreement. Only 28% of the respondents expressed strong belief in absolute truth. Only 28% of those surveyed expressed that there could be absolute truth. And only 23% out of that 28% who voted, only 23% of born-again or evangelical Christians accepted this idea. Now, I appreciate this survey, but it's a worrying survey. And actually, it explains a lot of what's going on in churches today. What a telling revelation. More than 75% of the followers of Christ don't believe that there's such a thing as absolute truth. That truth can be subjective. We can choose our truth. What does that say for what Jesus said? What does that say? What does that say? Turn to John chapter 14. Well, close with this thought. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Then where would we be, honestly? But that's the world we live in at the minute, where that concept's being attacked. The sad thing is it's being attacked from people within the church. That God doesn't mean what he says. 
Notice what Jesus says, John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. What's he saying? I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. And then he goes on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does that mean? That in a world that wants to tell you there's no such thing as truth, don't believe the lie. In a world that tells you that you're an accident, don't believe the lie. In a world that wants to tell you that you have no purpose, no pattern, no reason, no rhyme, don't believe the lie. In a world that wants to tell you that you're a good person, don't believe the lie. You know your heart better than anybody else. You know you're not good. In a world that wants to tell you that God wouldn't punish you, have a look at what the Word of God says and think about that. If God is truly holy, if he is God so much above us and beyond us, why would he not punish sin? In a world that wants to tell you there's many ways to heaven, what they're saying is there, that there's no such thing as absolute truth, that you can have your own truth, and it'll be true for you. And I can have my truth, and it'll be true for me. Islam can have its truth, and it's true for them. The Buddhists can have their truth, and it's true for them. The agnostic can have his truth, and it's true for them. Jesus Christ has no place to be, for that stuff to be allowed. That's why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, we're done this morning, and you may have sat here and thought, well, Pastor, I've heard all this before, you know, I'm a born-again believer, I, I know this stuff, I love this stuff. Listen, you may know it, but we want the world to know it. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed for not believing lies. I'm not ashamed for knowing that a loving designer created me, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed that God is holy and just and that I worship him and give him reverence, that I accept that I am but a, a, an ant in the scheme of things, but a grasshopper as God looks down. I'm not ashamed that I'm nothing without him. I'm not ashamed when I go into the world that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of him. Why do we go out into that world and pretend that the world knows what it's talking about? It doesn't. It doesn't. Why do we buy the lies? Why do we put up with the lies? Why do we think that just by going into the world and accepting the lies that we're doing the world a favor by not causing any kind of conflict. Or... Goodness me. Goodness me. When the Lord came, he came in truth, and that truth was divisive. But it was truth. And we have truth. The world has lied. What are we going to do with the truth that we have? Are we all going to sit in here and pat our backs and say, I'm glad that we have truth. 
No, we've got to get out there and tell them truth and fight the enemy and the lives he wants the world to believe. Are you going to take that challenge, Christian? Are you going to take the challenge? Or are you going to keep the truth for yourself? He's going to Jesus' teachings. We're not to hide the light. We're to shine the light. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your saviour, no matter what age you are, I'd urge you to come and talk to me after. Don't mess about with these things. They're eternal truths. They're eternal truths. Our faith is an educated faith. It's not a blind faith. I don't sit here and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ just because I decided to follow a fancy fable. I critically looked at it, and that's what led me to the Lord, because I found him to be true, 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 true. And it can be true for you this morning. Don't let today go. If this week's taught me anything, it's that tomorrow's not guaranteed for none of us. And eternity awaits. Make your decision and make